coming out of university, we focus a lot on the struggle. I didn't really take the time to appreciate the creativity that was around me and, and to enjoy myself. Just by nature of what it is, audition is a competition because someone is going to get work and someone isn't. One of the best pieces of advice I've heard is to walk in with the attitude of you already don't have the job, so you have nothing to lose by going for what you think is right and what you feel is good. Hello, and welcome to the Final Mile Club podcast, or as we're calling it, FM Radio. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Bejan, and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University. Hello, and welcome to the Final Mile podcast. I am delighted to today be with one of our most esteemed alumni, Brendan Fernandez, who's visiting us uh, virtually from Chicago. Fernandez trained originally as a ballet dancer, but due to injury, transitioned to the visual arts and ended up graduating with a BFA in visual art with a focus in sculpture from York University in 2002. He went on and then got his MFA at University of Western Ontario and also is a graduate of the Independent Study Program at the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York. He's now an internationally recognized Canadian artist working at the intersection of dance and visual arts, uh, including some really compelling work around sculpture and installation, dance, but also issues of queer culture, race, migration, protest, and other forms of, of what he refers to as collective movement. In 2010, he was shortlisted for the Sobe Art Award here in Canada and is a recipient of the prestigious 2017 Canada Council New Chapters Grant. His works have been shown all over the place. I actually got to see his um, work at the Whitney Biennial, but they've also appeared at the Guggenheim, the Museum of Modern Art, Getty, National Gallery of Canada, and among many, many others. He's currently an assistant professor at Northwestern University, and I'm just so delighted to have Brendan with us today. So thank you so much for, for making time, especially because I understand you are you are on your way to Brazil. So, th so thanks for carving out some time to talk with us today. Of course, no, such a great way to return back home. And, you know, this idea of coming back home has been so complicated for me. So I appreciate the welcome and um, and I'm super glad to chat and start this conversation and see where we go. As a way of starting out, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your experience at York, what, what you studied, and then what your career has looked like since graduation. Sure, yes. I started at York in 1998. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto. I danced in the city. I danced also in the suburbs. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to find a program that was seemingly hybrid, you know, and even though, you know, York had a dance department and York had a visual arts department and a theater department, um, you know, I was like, you know, you know, I was I was admitted into visual arts at the time. It was visual arts and design. And I chose the visual arts stream and then, you know, kind of carved out my own dance degree, you know, by hijacking classes, you know, using my my charm to ask teachers if I could take a class. And, you know, and that became a way that I was doing dance and visual arts. It was really important for me. Something that York, my York that was really important to was like, you know, I lived on campus. You know, I didn't live far from home. My, my parents were in Newmarket. That's where I grew up, Newmarket, Ontario. But I just, I found a sense of culture and community. You know, I always was invested in downtown Toronto. And, you know, coming to York, like I, I it was still new, but uh, familiar, but also there was like challenges, you know, you're living on your own. I lived in Winters College. And so I was able to like, you know, um, 
like, you know, meet musicians, meet filmmakers, meet dancers, meet graphic designers. And there's this little hub, this little cultural hub here. And, you know, my roommate, um, who Jacob Korczynski, who is a cultural uh, worker and uh, activist and curator in in Toronto, you know, we're still best friends. You know, we we met um, that first day moving into residence and, you know, just kind of continued that kind of like um, community collaboration. And those are things that I really take into my work in terms of practice, um, in terms of ideas of like social solidarity, in terms of kind of finding um, community value. And that was something that was really important. Like there was moments where I was like, you know, York is its own little kind of like mini city. You know, you don't have to process, sometimes you don't need to leave. And because of the rigor of doing dance and visual arts, I needed to be on campus. And so mm-hmm. I spent four years on campus and, um, I was a Don in, in Winters College uh, in my third year. Um, I was a Don in, in my fourth year. I went to Vanier. I switched to Vanier. And so I kind of just, you know, really had a lot of, like, um, experiences. You know, York um, allowed me to, you know, I worked at Winters Gallery. Um, I exhibited on the on the campus galleries. I learned how to make my first exhibition. But one thing about York was really important for me is it allowed me to experiment as an artist, as a dance maker, uh, through modern dance, for example, or improvisation, which were things I hadn't done in my dance practice. And then within my visual arts um, practice, I started to experiment with mediums. You know, like I did specialize in sculpture, but I did a lot of printmaking courses. I took... Um, a lot of painting courses, uh, time-based courses. So just as a young, you know, creative thinker, maker, I was giving like feelers of try to like how to like how to do things. And that was really important for me. And then on top of that, I worked at the dean's office. I worked as a liaison uh, for students affairs. And I just really got involved. I also was a tutor for the Learning Disability Center. So York was pretty much like a big part of my cultural um you know, profile, you know, like I definitely, you know, ballet still my culture. Uh, I'm still a queer punk rocker that would go to Toronto, but I brought those sensibilities to my community and culture at York. Well, it, it sounds like you, you took advantage of just about everything that, that, you know, uh, uh, the campus had to offer, in, including its proximity to, to downtown Toronto. It, it, it actually does provide a, a new, a certain amount of access. And, and this was even before the subway was here. The idea of making one's own opportunities, um, however big or small, is really important. You've had a number of very prestigious fellowships and have a a really thriving independent art practice. And I I just wonder if you could sort of talk us through, you know, how you got started in that, you know, how you became aware of opportunities, um, you know, what students who are getting ready to graduate might want to think about and focus on, you know, like, what did you find successful or useful in pursuing some of those opportunities? Well, I think the first thing was like, when I graduated, you know, with my BFA, you know, I had that year to kind of like, be still and think like, what do I want, you know? And Mm -hmm. so like being immersed in the Toronto art community, like, you know, going to openings, meeting people, seeing art. And so there was a group of students from OCAD, from York, and from uh, University of Toronto, and we created this collective called The Den. And I really was pushing that every two months we would rent a storefront on Oslington, because Oslington was like a totally different city uh, space, like, you know, and we would just, we'd make our own shows. And because it was important to still exhibit, because, you know, and show to have deadlines to make things, because it just also created like, you know, I wanted to go to grad school. I needed to have something on my CV. So I was like, if I don't have shows, I'm going to make that opportunity for myself. Right. You know, 
like make that opportunity take you know take um the reins and 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 make that so that i would have something even though it was a very small tiny cv when i following year when i applied to grad school i would say like i had these professionals these professional practices i had these professional experiences you know it, it was this like really ad hoc scruffy group of artists you know we all were just graduated from our our bfas but we were like let, we need to make opportunity so that's, that's so like taking you know empowering oneself and saying like okay we're gonna build this show and then we got a write-up in the toronto star as this like you know as this collective that was this young artist trying to put themselves on the map you know and it was like this really this moment and it gave us our first press even like learning how to make an exhibition is so important and that i still take into account when i'm making a show whether it's like an uh, you know the national gallery of canada like i always go into the space with the same kind of understanding of how, like how do i feel the space i also approach it as a dancer like i'm always like kind of feeling the space and thinking about it but then i also think that you know as Canadians, we're very fortunate for our public funding. And mm -hmm. so I would do a lot of research on grants uh, and and I think grant writing is really important. It's not fun, um, but it's a type of skill that you, we need to learn. And it's part of the, the, the job of being an artist. My mom once sent to me, when will you stop writing grants? And I said, never, because the more successful you get, the more work you have to do and the more grants you have to write. And that's something to kind of consider. Nothing becomes easier. It just becomes mm -hmm. more. And so you have to figure out how to take that on and how you develop and grow within your practice, you know? Um, and then the other thing about, you know, as Canadians is that we have an artist-run center culture, which is super important. The idea of having, you know, you know public funding from uh, federal, and provincial governments um, giving money that we can support practice is really important. So when I graduated from Western, I had, you know, I made a thesis exhibition, which I documented very well. So documentation is very important, especially when you're making performance or ephemeral work, you needed to kind of live in another space. So made I made a really important, you know, portfolio and it's funny because I'm laughing now because they were slides. So that's how old I am. Um, there were I remember sli slides. <laughs> well, when I applied for my MFA, I had to like submit all my my portfolio in slide carousels and like send them out to the schools. Like it's like now I'm like, oh, I'm just going to email a portfolio. It's like, it's like, yeah, times have changed for no, sure. No, no, The slide carousel was the PowerPoint of its day. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's why we call them slides. Yeah, you know, and no. slide deck. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And then I remember like one year for Christmas being like, oh, I need this is after um, I graduated um, my master's. I was doing all these applications for um, for um, to artist run centers. But and I asked for Christmas for a CD, uh, a DVD burner because I needed to burn a ton of portfolios and send them out. But again, I'll say this with, you know, like I sent out a lot. I think I maybe sent out like 20 applications but I also did my research to make sure that the galleries that I was applying to like fit into the mandate of what you know my work was you know I'm not going to send it to a photo artist run center because it was primarily sculpture and and performance so again like doing the research but I think that was really important those were sort of some of the early opportunities that I did uh, to take on and then when I got into the Whitney in New York I started to like build my networks and start to apply for other residencies, fellowships. Because at the end of my year at the Whitney, which, you know, my parents are very supportive, but they know they're like, you can't move to New York, Brendan. Like, you know, how are you going to afford this? And I said, I'm going to figure it out. So I went and I applied for a bunch of grants. I, I went to Ontario Arts Council and I applied for a professional development degree grant. And I got, you know, I think I went to New York with like $5,000 and I really don't know how I lived in 
that city for with that kind of money, but I did. And and then after getting a taste of that city, I was like, I can't leave. Mm-hmm. I can't leave. I was like, you know, and then again, visa situations, immigration situations. I was like, I need to stay. So I I remember like applied to every fellowship in the city, everyone. And because if I got a fellowship, it would be it would give me the ability to apply for a visa. If I have nothing, I can't actually stay there. I found this lawyer who was a hairdresser and an immigration lawyer, but she was cheap. And we, I gave her my money and my mom was like, this is, no, you're coming home. And I was, she's like, you're not going to get this, your visa. And I got my visa, but then I didn't get any fellowships until the last day of my final visa day. It was like August 31st. It was a summer of like 2006. And I just was like, I have to get into something. And I don't know, again, it fell into my place. I went to a fellowship, um, which was one of the, the next most important fellowships after the Whitney, the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. And I was like, how did this happen? So I built, you know, the Whitney built me a great community. And then the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council built me a great community. And then I just started to like kind of work and do other fellowships, you know, um, you know, rent in New York is expensive. So if I got fellowships outside of New York, you know, it was a way to you go to have respite, to to be creative, but then to also like, you know, have someone sublet your room so you could like make some money <laughs> so you could pay for your rent, you know? Yeah. So it was very, again, you know, very ad hoc, but very proactive. You know, I was proactive and find the research for those for those fellowships writing those artist statements writing those budgets and doing those things those th- those things that you don't learn necessarily always in school but you 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 have to learn those things as a, as an artist and i'm just hoping cuz it's it's weird writing you're like it's, they're asking you yeah. like why are you good <laughs> you're like cuz i'm the best <laughs> like give it to me like it's just like it's just it's frustrating and so you have to like kind of like do this kind of like weird like language labor and it's just like so it's 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 strange writing and yes. you know but then you also have to articulate your ideas like what are you doing so i tell my students like you know you're trying to describe your art and what it does and how it manifests through words so there should be a certain kind of way of writing about that so but also when you do that kind of articulating through the written process it allows you to speak about the work in a more you know important way as well because we need to know how to learn so in, even in the social networking spaces of going to see art and meeting people you have to talk about your art so you know like sometimes i say to my students like give me your elevator pitch what's your pitch what's the work about they're like i don't know don't, don't ask me and i'm like no you i need to know like you know someone's gonna ask you you can't say you don't know Thinking about, you know, about the evolution of your work, having it be framed in explicitly in the context of post-colonial theory by Spivak and and Said and, and those folks, your work is also deeply connected to concepts of queer culture and marginalization in a lot of different different ways. And I'm, I'm sort of curious if you could say a little bit about, about what that creative evolution has looked like and, and how you worked with those concepts and ideas to develop your practice. Yeah, and it's going to go back to New York. So when I moved to New York, I started to think about dance again. And this kind mm. of dance narrative came back when I lived in New York, you know, working uh, with Yvonne Rayner at the Whitney, but also just seeing dance and thinking about dance in other ways. And so then the hybridization of dance and visual arts coming into my practice, like, you know, using sculpture as prop and having performers 
uh, enact with them um, started me to kind of think about ideas of labor, about kink culture, the ideas of burden, um, how do we find freedom within the space of restraint. So the intersections of dance and visual arts, for me, are a queer space. So queer for me is it's about creating a space of inclusivity, a space of collaboration, a, a, a space to like break down, you know, cultural hegemonies and think about the new space, the imagined space, the possibility of how do we then function as, as a community. And so my Whitney Biennial piece or the Guggenheim piece, there are these underlining tones of like, you know, BDSM kink culture, you know, leather. and But within it, I'm questioning this, this notion of like, how do we find freedom within the restraint? So if something's holding me back, how do I then challenge that to kind of find a new way to move? So again, thinking through this language of, of movement, like to, to dismantle, to turn around, to, to jump forward, these kinds of things are things that I think through within that process. A lot of my work has been looking at the dance club because outside of dancing in a studio, in a ballet class, you know, for me, um, New York's Vogue ball scene was a big important space to find community where, you know, you know, queers gather to find people who felt like them. So the dance floor has become a big part of like how I, how I, support um, questions of resistance as a space of gathering, but also as a space that physically supports bodies. In, mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that through um, the body on a dance floor. So the architectural device of a dance floor uh, supporting a body in um, verticality. And then what does that mean when the body is horizontal? And I question that through moments of violence and trauma through Pulse Orlando nightclub. Um, this past summer, I was doing research in Oslo, and very unfortunately and tragically, there was a mass shooting in a pub called London Pub on the eve of Pride. So, still questioning that our our civil rights are still um, are still needed to uh, are still needed and valued. We're still in the space of wanting to be heard and seen. And so, within the work, I also question what is protest, dancing, gathering bringing bodies together for me is political protest mm-hmm. to move together in unison, to move together in solidarity, to create mass um, action is also a form of protest. And so thinking through a Marxist imaginary that I don't like where I'm living right now, but if I let go, then I'm stuck in it, but I'm going to imagine the possibility of a new freedom of a new political space that exists. And that is the space that gives me resilience to move forward. You know, what are what are some of the things that you're addressing in your own classes um, and that you're wanting your students to to have and learn? I, I would say, I guess, particularly in this in this moment, right, both politically and culturally, but also aesthetically. We're in fragile times, you know, um, mm-hmm. pandemic time, um, social uprisings, Black Lives Matters. I want my students to self-empower, to self-value. And to process, you know, that we are going through stuff that it's 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 not easy and that we have to be kind, gentle, generous with ourselves, but then to expand that to a greater space of community, to to deal with it together. We're not in this alone. But then to kind of feel that, you know, I, I'm always trying to instill in, with them this idea that, you know, we're going to make change. And I feel that there is that sense of hope and resi- resilience within my students right now. And it's exciting because it gives me purpose and hope as well. You know, we're all kind of channeling that each- with each other. So I think that's that's something. And, you know, outside of like, you know, the kind of the class um, curriculum or thematics of what I'm teaching, you know, I really try to instill that kind of safe space, you know, a space of like, you know, we all are, it's an exchange with each other to kind of 
help support to move ahead, to move forward, as I keep saying. Yeah. So uh, last question, what's next? I have a number of projects coming up. I'm doing a piece with Danish National Radio that opens in the beginning of February. It's a concert piece with 18 voices. We're singing this piece that I've written where the singers are making the sounds of police sirens. That it's this mm. kind of idea that they sing against each other. They make this kind of noise that hurts the body. But then when they all sing together, it becomes this kind of beautiful, visceral space of solidarity. Um, so it's kind of like, it's called The Calls. Um, I'm then working on a larger commission uh, for the Barnes Foundation uh, in Philadelphia. And then I'm also doing a performance piece at the Fee Foundation in Montreal. So, yeah. Great. Well, congratulations. That that thank sounds you. amazing. And Brendan, thank you so, so much for, for all your time and, and insights and sharing all of this with us today. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, it's been a really invigorating and um, an inspiring time together. So I will look forward to future conversations. But in the meantime, travel safe and, and many thanks for all of your time. It's so great to learn about your work. Thank you so much. Such an honor. And I look forward to, for more to come. You've been listening to the Final Mile Club Radio a production of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University, with generous support from Jennifer Ivy Bannock and members of the Dean's Advisory Committee. You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca, and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening, and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.